Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. my brothers and sisters, I greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord Jesus Christ to a time together in God's scripture and to learn from the Holy Spirit through the living and active word of God. Let's pray. Dear God, as your sons and your daughters help us to seek you in humility to know what it means to humble ourselves before you, God, to humble ourselves before our Lord, to not bring pride before you, to not bring pride to the table or to hold on to pride, but to let loose of pride. Your word says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So let us seek you, to worship you, to know you, to glorify you, and let us do it in humility before you, God. Pray this all in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, folks, my voice is a little bit more raspy today, so I'm going to do the very best with what I have. But if you notice that, uh, just a quick preface there. God is very good. God is constant. God is faithful. God is a pursuing God. He is a God who wants to be involved in your life. He wants to be involved in the lives of men. He's not a distant God. He's not detached God. In fact, he is very much the absolute opposite of that. God is so big and so deep and so complex and so relational and so personal. And his love is like nothing you've ever known in your entire life, nothing you have ever heard of, not like romantic love. It is this all-encompassing love, and this is what he offers to anyone who would repent of their sin and believe in his son, Jesus Christ. Believe that Jesus died on a cross for your sin, that he took, that you were a sinner and God took all of that onto himself for you so that you can be made righteous before God. This is what God does for us This is the gospel. This is what transforms everything. This is what can transform the human heart to being a human heart or from a human heart that sought after sin, that sought after selfishness, that sought after greed, lust, jealousy, covetousness, anger. And it changes your heart's desires to be after God's desires. It's powerful. This is the love of God. And this love will utterly change our world with each new believer who repents of their sin, repents of their selfishness, and trusts Jesus Christ. You know what's remarkable about that is when you do that, it is not a command or a matter to follow when God sets forth his commands to us, his law before us. It is something we desire to do. 
That's so beautiful that way. When your heart is transformed, your desire is to worship God. Your desire is to obey his commandments. As God the Father said in the Old Testament and Jesus affirmed in the New Testament. If you love me, you will obey my commandments. And as a Christian, we may wrestle with certain aspects of God's love because of our natural proclivities to still look to the side, look to the left, look to the right, to be distracted, to be lazy, to run to other things besides God for comfort. comfort. But we are still transformed to desire to follow God. And that's powerful. And when you give your heart to God, that transforms everything in your life. How you look at sin, how you deal with sin, especially how you look at other people. Today, we're in Genesis 4 again. Last week, we covered Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7. Adam and Eve's direct descendants, their first two sons. And Eve gave credit, saying to God the Father, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And then she had a second son as well. Cain first and then Abel. Let's pick it up in verse 3 as we continuing, continue reading in chapter 4 of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, please join me. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. And now picking up in verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. It's interesting. We don't have more about the conversation than that. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? Notice the Lord asks a question again. Cain responded, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Same language he said to Eve. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You should be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Notice, well, let me keep reading. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground and from your face. I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. Notice he didn't ask for forgiveness. Verse 15, then the Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. And Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he named the city, the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad. And Irad fathered Mahujael. And Mahujael fathered Methushel. And Methushel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. 
which is sinful. The name of the one was Adah, and the name of the other Zillah. Adah bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and the pipe. Notice what fascinating detail the Holy Bible has. Zillah also bore Tubal Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal Cain was Nimah. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. And lastly, in verse 25, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son and called his name Seth. For she said, God has appointed for me another offspring instead of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So let's go back to the start of chapter 4. There is much here to discuss. At the start of four, with the introduction of Cain and then Abel, and again, we covered the first section of this last week, verses one through seven. The Lord had regard, folks, for Abel's offering. What does this mean? This means Abel was obedient to the Lord. Abel worshipped the Lord. This is what God calls every single one of his children to do, to be obedient and to worship him. You can be obedient to God, procedural, a checklist, if you will. But truly, that's not obedience unless your heart is in it. You cannot worship God unless your heart is in it as well. And Abel, God had regard for his offering. This testifies that he was faithful, that he was of godly character, that he was seeking to please the Lord. This is the standard, and this is good. And we don't have much more from Abel than this. Let's look at Cain. Conversely, God did not have regard for Cain's offering. Talked about this last week, meaning Cain was not obedient to the Lord in this. He did not worship the Lord in this. Like Adam and Eve, Cain fell short. He sinned. He did not obey God. And then God warns Cain of what was in his heart. Let me read this again. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Look at that beautiful language from the Lord to Cain, who had been disobedient to him. Then he says, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Active, dynamic, tense language here. Its desire, sin's desire, is for Cain. And Cain must rule over it. God warns Cain, this is a major threat. And if Cain turns away from sin to see God as his God, then Cain would worship the Lord And the language here, he would be accepted by God. But that's not what happened. What already was inside of Cain, 
continues to well up in him or swell up in him. And then like God to Adam and Eve, God banishes Cain from the land of his family. And it says the presence of the Lord, that he must instead be a wanderer on the earth. Let's look at this again. The Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Does God care about life? Yes, God cares greatly about life. God is a God of life. God is a God of light and God is a God of life. God created life. Mankind did not have to be. God chose mankind. God chose to create mankind. God chose to create Adam. And then God saw, this is good. It's not good that he's alone. I'm choosing to create Eve. And then Adam and Eve only had sons or any offspring because God chose. God is active. God chooses life. God cares about the sanctity of life. He said, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now to Cain, you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. God knows everything at all times, folks. There is no hiding from God. There's no deceiving God. There's no lying to God that if you that if you lied to him, the theory that if you lied to him, that he wouldn't know the truth. The creator of all things knows the truth about all things. Why? He created him. Guess what? You were created by God. I am created by, I was created by God. I live every single day on earth one day after the next, at God's desire, at God's will, at God's sustaining. Otherwise, I wouldn't be here because God is the God of life and God determines how many days each person will live. God is in charge. And God is also in charge of justice. And God is also in charge of sentencing because there is one judge and his name is the Lord. And there is one who's in charge of life and death and his name is the Lord. He says to Cain, when you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. What did Cain previously bring to the Lord? He brought an offering of the fruit of the ground. Cain was a gardener. He was in agriculture, like his parents, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, with the trees of fruit. And it says that outside of the garden, that there is also fruit, because he brought to the Lord fruit, an offering of fruit of the ground. And we know also that there are plants. He was a cultivator. He cultivated the ground, and God says that's no longer going to be the case. Very similar to God's curse for Adam. That the ground would be cursed because of him. You should be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. This is his sentence. This is the, this is the proclamation from God. And what does it say here? We skip, skip down just a little bit to verse 16. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. This leaving of the presence of the Lord is like Adam and Eve being banished from the garden. Let's go back Genesis 3, at the end of Genesis 3. 3.23, therefore the Lord sent him, that's Adam, out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. Dynamic, active language. God cast 
him out. And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And now we see that is the judge, a similar judgment for Cain. So Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And I get the impression that there wasn't interaction with the family anymore. And this is all part of God's plan. Did God orchestrate this? Did God cause Cain or cause Adam and Eve to sin? No. Absolutely not. But God always has a plan. And God's plan for his people in covenant with him is always part of his plan. So we've talked about Abel. We've talked about Cain. Let's look at the root causes here. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's sin. It's what I've talked about God choosing. God is active. God is dynamic. God chooses life. God chooses mankind. God chooses to have a personal relationship with us. God chooses to have covenant with his people. What are we choosing? The matter before us is sin. And we talked about this pretty thoroughly the last couple of weeks. There's always more to draw out. Sin in chapter 3. That it was sin when the serpent tempted Adam and Eve and said things which were lies to Adam and Eve. So he didn't just tempt them. Like you saw portrayed in some fairy tales when you were young. Or the shiny red apple that the witch brings to, what was that, Snow White? Then there's also Sleeping Beauty, I don't know. They, they, it both casts them uh, something into like a deep sleep. Anyway. It wasn't just like that. There is deception. There is lying. There is a preaching of a false gospel to man. This is what evil does. Sin is opposed to God. Satan is opposed to God. Satan is evil. And sin is what he's about. Therefore, sin is evil. So we see sin the first time here in chapter 3. And then we see sin again here in Genesis chapter 4. Uh, here we go. Chapter 4, verse 5. So Cain was very angry. Sin can give way to anger. Sin can be anger. Anger can be sin. So too, jealousy, covetousness. There's all sorts of sin. But what is sin? Sin is not humbling yourself before the Lord. Sin is not pursuing the Lord how the Lord says, this is how you are to pursue me. This is how you are to love me. This is how you are to worship me. And God is very specific and he lays it out really, really well in his law, even here in the first few chapters of Genesis. And we haven't really got into the law per se yet. But God says, I want to be in a personal relationship with you. I want to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful to you. I want you to be faithful to me. And sin is unfaithfulness to God. 
the pursuit of sin, the pursuit of something besides God. This is what we saw with Adam and Eve, and this is what we saw with Cain right here, Genesis 4, again, verse 5. So Cain was very angry, but the Lord had no regard for his offering. And his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? Like a loving father, a loving teacher, a loving counselor. And if you do not do well, here's the warning. Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Dynamic, active, warning language. Sin's desire is for you. And folks, this is true for us today. For every single one of us today, we encounter temptation and we encounter the thoughts of sin or the great temptation of it around us on a regular basis. And all of us struggle in different ways. But Satan and evil and sin are very, very active all around us. It's pervasive. And what God says to us today is what he said to Cain here in verse 7, that you must rule over it. And we also must have the, the correct posture before the Lord. This is something that we don't see in Cain here. Did he have a personal relationship with the Lord? I'm not sure. Scripture doesn't articulate this for sure. But we do not see humility before the Lord. We do not see repentance before the Lord. We do not see Cain asking forgiveness from the Lord for this, for his anger, for his sorrow, or for murder of his brother Abel. And you must have that kind of posture before the Lord. You must have a humbling of yourself before the Lord. This must be our attitude with regard to sin. And this tells the Lord in worship, it says, God, it's like salvation. It's like repenting of your sin and trusting in Christ for your salvation. And we take the same posture. Now, Christ died once for all. So let me make that clear. But when we come to the Lord and we ask forgiveness for the sin that we have committed, even yes, now as Christians, we need to have this posture of humility before the Lord. We are worshiping God when we take the posture of humility before the Lord. It's not worship of God when we sin. No, that's the opposite of worshiping God. That's doing something not completely unlike Adam and Eve in the garden. That we're taking something that God has said is prohibited. That we're engaging with it. We're participating in it. Or perhaps it's the omission of something good that God has called us to do. Because sin can be both commission and omission. And if we're omitting something that God has called us to do, like being generous or giving to the church or serving those in need, these are all things that God has called us to do. And if we do not have a generous heart, if we do not, if we're not willing to serve, first of all, the church, let alone other people, then we're not doing what Jesus said when he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is like the first, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So sin can be both commission and omission, but sin is the opposite. So when we do the opposite, or when we think the opposite, because sin can also be a thought, not just an action or the omission of an action. What's the next thing we do or think about? Because God is calling us to prayer. God is calling us to submit ourselves again to the Lord 
and to, unlike what Cain did here, ask for forgiveness. Say, God, I love you. And it's completely on me. I'm not going to blame shift like we see so often in our culture. Like we saw partially from Adam and Eve when they were confronted about it. When they were, in, I would say, yeah, confronted, though God asked questions with a father's heart about those whom he loves. He asks questions because it's a relationship. But we need to have the posture of humility before our almighty God and our almighty Savior, the one whose name is faithful and true. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Do we have that type of response when we sin before our Lord? We need to. And here's why. Sin doesn't stay sin. Sin grows when it's given a home. Let's look at this. Well, Jesus is also going to make this really clear here. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5. The Sermon on the Mount, starting at verse 21. Because if you think sin is just sin, and it hasn't developed or grown to something else, if you think when God says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not murder, if you think it's just about murder, Jesus goes a lot deeper to illustrate what that command is saying. Matthew 5, 21. Jesus says, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. He's talking about worshiping God. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. While probably prudent regarding civil law and judicial law, God is not talking about your neighbor bringing you to court over some offense between you two. But that's also true. And perhaps he is saying that. But I think of our posture before the Lord here. That we must come to terms quickly with our accuser who, who is our lawgiver and judge. The one who's able to save and destroy, that is the Lord. But it's also true of our brother here. Jesus articulates here in Matthew 5. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, or I've heard in multiple commentaries, that expression denigrates that they are made in the image and the likeness of God. So it's like removing their valuation that the Lord ascribed to them in creation will be liable to the hell of fire. That's because we are not acknowledging the Lord for who he is. And that's the main problem with sin. 
that's the problem with anger. That's the problem with murder. That was the issue with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. That was the issue with Cain in Genesis 4, was they were not acknowledging God for who he is. And he is. Present tense and for all time. God's name for himself, one of many, is I am. He is the preeminent God. And we need to see him as such. So Jesus articulates here in Matthew 5. that yes, murder is wrong because it goes against the commandment of the Lord and anger is wrong. There are a few instances of righteous anger in the Bible. Like when Jesus was in the temple and he overturned the tables. This is a rare circumstance, folks, and it's not going to be duplicated. So I'm not saying any of us should go and overturn tables in the temple or in the church. But this is because the money changers were not dealing honestly with the people of God when it came to selling sacrifices to God. Or the money changers and the people who brought the sacrifices. That was the heart of the matter. And Jesus says, the house of God is sacred to God. And there are a very few examples of righteous anger in the Bible, but largely in almost every other circumstance, anger is wrong. Anger is something that also must be tamed into submission so that we do not give sin a foothold like Cain did. Cain let that become part of his identity. He let it become who he was and it consumed him so much that he committed the first murder on the earth. The taking of a human life made in the image and the likeness of God and God really, really, really cares about life. With regard to anger, let's look at uh, another passage here. This is in Ephesians 4. And you're probably turning there faster than I am because I lost my bookmark, but we'll get there. Stand by. Oh, come on. Stand by. We're right here. Here we are. Thank you, folks. Okay, Ephesians 4, 32. Paul says, be kind to one another. With regard to anger, Paul says, well, Paul wasn't specifically speaking about anger here, but he was speaking about something quite similar just before it. He says in verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger, there we are, and clamor and slander be put away from you. He's talking to the church, along with all malice, be kind to one another. Yes, we must have kindness in our hearts in glorifying God. And honoring each other, be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Folks, if you struggle with anger, if you struggle with sin, that's all of us, we must remember to have the right posture before the Lord and also to remember how much we've been forgiven of when we look at our neighbor, when we look at our brother in the church, when we look at someone outside of the church, you still have to see them how God sees them. That God sees the sanctity of a human life that he created. They may do things that you find objectionable, but God still calls us to pray for them and to treat them 
with as much respect as we can for the glory of God. Some cases are, are very, very unique. In some cases, people do not have any form of relationship with someone else anymore because they've been so engrossed with sin or because they become so offensive and disrespectful to them. So for them, I believe God still calls us to pray for them, to pray for their repentance before the Lord. Because we are all made by God. And then one more verse here, too, actually. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Paul says, therefore, be imitators of God. So not just to please God, but imitate God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. We have to have this posture before the Lord, we have to have this mentality before the Lord in a way of Christ. That Christ sacrificed himself because of his love for us. Let us not forget that the tone as Christians is love. That may be cliche, based on your upbringing or based on your current situation, and let it not be so. Let it not be so, because Christ's love drove him to the cross. His love for you drove him to the cross. God's love for you is why he made a lot of creation. It's why he made you, because he loves you. And now we are to glorify him by loving him and by loving other people. And for those that we find very hard to love, to try again to love because of how much God did for us. Now let's talk about murder. Murder is along the spectrum of anger, it's the ultimate end of anger. And with anger, I will say hatred because they're really quite similar. A couple points. I think it's important to remember, number one, that there is evil in the world, that there are people who do evil things and there are people who choose evil. They choose to do evil things. We all choose what we're going to worship in our life, what we're going to value in our life. We choose so many things. And God says, who do you choose? Do you choose me? Do you choose to worship me? But evil people and people who are focused on evil don't choose God. They choose evil. Point number two, evil, like John 10.10 says, is about stealing, killing, and destroying. So if you see or read cases in your life or on the news or you talk to your friends, and there are cases of theft, and there are cases of murder, and there are cases of defamation or slander or libel. Yeah, this is a signpost for evil. This is what evil does. This is what Satan does, and this is what evil does. And evil is very active. Point number three, it's important that we know all of this exists in the world. And it practically has since the beginning. Evil tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. And they chose to do evil at that moment. Evil welled up inside of Cain. He was consumed with jealousy and anger so much that he murdered his brother in Genesis 4. He chose 
to do that. So you don't have to wonder specifically why there is evil in the world. God knows why. But we must know that it not only exists, but it is very pervasive. That it's all around us. And when you see people causing discord or division or deception or lying or slander or they're consumed with anger, jealousy, sexuality, whatever it is, these are all traits of evil if it's outside of God. And a lot of these are just that. And if you're consumed even with something good, but it's like an undying fascination or a, a fix, you have it affixed in your mind and you're not affixing yourself on the Lord, then you're completely missing out. You're completely missing the mark. And God says, focus on me. See, we can elevate good things that God has given us up to the level of God in our personal life. But God says, there's only one who's on the throne. There's only one who has that place. And that's God alone. Number four, murder and hatred. And I will use those interchangeably here. These are both expressly prohibited from the Lord. Why? Because they remove the identity of a person made in the image and after the likeness of God. When you have hatred in your heart, you've really stepped over the line. That's anger to a whole nother extent. And God warns over and over again about hatred. And murder is abhorrent because one, it removes a life and God is all about life. And two, the one who commits the murder substitutes themselves in the place of God as the ultimate judge, as the one in charge of life and death. And they see there's a life here and I'm going to take it. But only God is in the position of creation and reclamation, if you will, to give it a word. God is the one who's in charge of life. And as James 4, 11 and 12 says, if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but you're a judge. And there is only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We have to remember our posture before the Lord. We have to remember the order of creation before the Lord. We have to remember the Lord. We have to worship the Lord. We have to obey his commandments because God set this forth for his glory. And here's another great part for our good. you will have the most happiness and joy that you've ever had in your life when you are under the umbrella of God's created order, of God's leadership, of God's commandments. And you will be in this close, abiding, personal relationship with him, but you have to choose God. And the problem with sin is it doesn't just stay sin. There's another scripture that comes to mind, so I'm going to look that up real quick. But if you're mastered by sin, anger will manifest in you. And then what does it do from there? Festers. Like a disease or virus. Anger, unchecked, will consume you. People have been driven to anger, and then they're defined by their anger. 
Their life becomes a life of anger. They're angry at everybody. Have you known anyone like this? Have you, have you known anyone in your life who has become this? Because they did not walk away from their anger. And a lot of things unchecked with regard to sin can start to overtake someone. Jealousy can overtake you. Greed can overtake you. Lust can overtake you. And God says, humble yourself before the Lord. Humble yourself before the Lord and God will change you. But you have to choose humility. You have to choose to change and you have to choose God. The verse I was thinking of is in James 3. And it says, now he's talking about how we use our words to sin. So when we speak something that is spoken that is sinful. But in James 3 verse 5, he says, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. It is set among our members, the members of your body or the parts of your body, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. He's illustrating there that it grows, that sin grows. And just like a forest fire that's either started by a lightning strike or a man-made cause, it's a very small part of the forest where the ignition takes place. But like a forest fire, sin can grow. Let's look at the life of Lamech. Lamech spoke evil when he said Cain took revenge, which was a lie. Because we don't have anything to believe from the story of Cain and Abel that Abel had done Cain wrong. Perhaps Cain saw it as revenge, but that's because Cain's mind was warped anyway. Let's look at this real quick. Now, there's not a lot here in the life of Lamech. We know that he took two wives, which is bigamy, which is a violation of God's command when he brought the man and the woman together. That's his plan. Monogamy, heterosexual monogamy. God defines marriage, folks. This is it. Yes, many people in the Bible had polygamous marriages, and that was disobedient to God's command. So Lamech said to his wives in Genesis 4, 23, Adah and Zalah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. He wasn't full of pride, was he? Listen to what I say. Yeah, I guess so. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. So Lamech spoke evil when he said Cain took revenge, because we have nothing to believe that it was a case of revenge. And oh, God prohibits revenge. God says in his scripture, revenge is mine, saith the Lord. That there is one lawgiver and judge, and that is God alone. Then Lamech continues in his sin to boast that he killed a man for striking him, which Abel never did to Cain. And that Lamech believes in revenge. So he sinned by marrying two wives. He sinned by thinking or believing that Cain was allotted revenge, first of all, because God doesn't believe in that. God doesn't believe in murder. 
In fact, God prohibits it. It's a commandment. And then Lamech said that he would be of, in the biblical language, this is interesting here, 77-fold, or in the language, this would mean 70 times 7, that of which Cain did to Abel. This is what Lamech is boasting of here. He wants to be known by this. And he's telling both of his wives. So he's boasting in his murder. And either he's saying that one murder was so much greater than Cain's murder of Abel, or I've done this and I'm going to do more. He hates human life, apparently. And there are examples of those in our culture who hate human life. And abortion is one of those. Abortion is the ending of human life. The choosing, it's the choice. We all get to choose. God gives us a choice. Choose for you this day whom you will serve. Are we choosing God or are we choosing something else? And Lamech is choosing murder. And Cain chose murder. And abortion choosing is murder. But in every pregnancy, the mother always has the choice to choose life. And that is of God. Not much else about the life of Lamech. Let's look at the other descendants of Adam and Eve. The other descendant, excuse me, singular. You would say that hope continues in the line of Adam with the birth, by the grace of God, another son, since Abel, who was faithful to God, was dead, and Cain, who was unfaithful, was sent off. God always provides in his plan. As Christians, I think all of us, each one of us need to remember this. We need to remember this. As you read through the Bible, you will see God's faithfulness to his people on display. If you read just through Genesis, you'll see it. If you read just through Exodus, you'll see it. If you read just through Deuteronomy, you will see it. God has a plan, and that is to be with his people. So. The God who is in charge of life and death, who is the Lord, the Lord, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. There is one God. He is going to keep you alive every single day of your life, and he is going to provide for you in so many ways every single day of your life until he calls you home. We don't have to worry about our life because God will provide. And together in verse 26, as Seth and then Seth's son, Enosh, are named, it says that people called upon the name of the Lord, showing what? That God is faithful to his people, God has a plan, and God will carry out that plan, and his people worship him that this beautiful covenant that God established for his people, with his people, that his people worship him in it. And though they may go astray, they come back with hearts of humility to the Lord. Let's close with a few short scriptures here. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. What language does that sound like to you? What does that remind you of? Perhaps in Genesis 4, verse 7, when the Lord says, Sin is crouching at the door, its desire is for you. 
we need to remember, folks, there is an enemy. There is one who promulgates and perpetuates and proclaims sin at the forefront every single day throughout the day. You could choose sin, he says. You could choose this. You could choose that. Don't you want to get out of pain? Don't you want to have pleasure? These are the lies of sin. These are the lies given in temptation. Or perhaps, don't you want to be like God, knowing good and evil? And that's a sin from the pit of hell. It's a lie. There is one God and God alone. We need to remember that there are forces at work against God's law and trying to steal our hearts and our eyes and our minds away from following God. And now let's back up a few verses. Verse 5 through 7. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Which means that God has heaven in store and good things in store for those who worship him. Casting all your anxieties on God because he cares for you. Our Lord, brothers and sisters, is a loving God. When we adopt this posture of love, when we adopt this mindset and this attitude in our heart of love for God and for other people, then we are being like God. God created us in his image, but when we obey his commandments and have the heart of God in love, in kindness, in caring, in generosity, in service, because we want to exemplify Christ in this world, then we are fully embracing what it means to be in the image of God. And those who walk away from the truth of God and pursue a life of sin are walking away from the image of God. They're walking away from the presence of God. They're walking away from that which God created them for, which Christ came to earth to die for them for. But we can have eternal life through a personal relationship with our Lord because of what Christ has done on our behalf. And this is a free gift available to us every single day of our life to be embraced, to be cherished, and to love God. We all choose something every single day. But there's only one safe choice. There's only one satisfying choice. And that is God alone. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our Lord, majestic is your name in all the earth. Great are you, God, greater than anything else, greater than anyone else. You are worthy to be praised. You are holy and set apart and magnificent and beautiful, and you are a God of life and of light and of righteousness and truth. You are faithful to your covenant. You are faithful to your people. You are faithful to your promises. You are faithful to your word. Write your word on our hearts, Lord. By the Holy Spirit, fill up in us the Holy Spirit so that we would not fill up in ourselves anything else. That we would not allow sin to knock at the door and open the door that as sin walks past, that we would slam that door shut and say, because I love God, I'm not going to be a participant of anything opposed to my God. And then run back to you with open arms and embrace you 
and embrace your word and embrace you in prayer and embrace you in praise and lift you up and glorify you and say, I want to be closer to you. I don't want to be far from you. I want to be close to you always. I want to be closer and closer and closer to you. By the grace of the Holy Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray that is so for us. We pray this in your name, God. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis chapter 5.